0: Broadcasting live from the great northern in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington, I'm Matt.
1: I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks.
0: If you've ever wanted to know where to get the best slice of cherry pie in town, or how to place an ad in Flesh World magazine, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Insert Title Here. Yeah. Currently untitled Twin Peaks Project.
1: Yep. (laughs) Let's... Actually, do this. Yeah, it, it, I think I've seen this episode four times. I haven't rewatched the whole series that many times, but I'm pretty sure I have seen. This is my fourth viewing of the pilot.
0: Yeah, I've I've definitely seen the pilot more than anything else because I think I've seen the whole series through twice.
1: I think so too. Well, oh, I don't think I watched the middle of season
0: two twice. Oh well, yeah. I'm not, I'm not counting that.
1: <laughs> they um, don't count. They're not part they of the show.
0: Count. But yeah, I've seen the pilot like four or five
1: times. Yeah. Sometime.
0: Because I show it to people, right? Like, oh, you're right. really gonna like this, and then they don't.
1: How did don't you actually get into Twin Peaks? Is it just that your parents watched it?
0: Yeah, that was my parents. It was on Netflix. I just needed something to watch. But yeah, it was, just, you know, it was it was on TV, and they were like, oh, this is a weird, this is a weird fun show that you'll like. This is up your alley. And I didn't really believe them because I, I don't know. I thought Twin Peaks was a sex joke thing, and I thought it was just like a police procedural soap opera. So I sort of went into it not realizing what it was going to be. And it was the first, like, David Lynch thing that I ever watched.
1: Yeah, me too. Well, I think my first experience with it was the psych parody of it that they did in, like, I don't know, their fourth season.
0: Yeah, I I showed (laughs) you that that Scooby-Doo, the Scooby-Doo parody, right?
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: it's funny to think that, like, how much, like, when you look back at other shows after you've seen Twin Peaks and you're like, oh, like, every... Anytime there's a trippy thing, it's just always a reference to Twin Peaks. Yeah. But it was, like, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty groundbreaking show. My parents talked about how, like, it was, like, the one show where they would, like, go over to friends' houses to, like, drink and, like, watch the latest episode. It's, like, well, the, per- the first binging TV, really, without the binging.
1: Without <laughs> the binging, because they had to yeah. wait a week between episodes.
0: It's yeah, no, b-
1: I mean, I, I don't think my mom really watched it, but she certainly knew about it. You know, everyone everyone that was alive and culturally aware in you know, 1990, I think, yeah. was like...
0: Hoover and I remember people
1: saying that it was the topics that it covered and the stuff that it, it showed on TV, right? Like,
0: the like just the... Ra- rape and murder of, like, young children.
1: Yeah, that it was just really, like, out there for the time, and it was really
0: on the edge of, like, what was acceptable to talk about on TV. Which is funny, because it's, like, 1991 not really that long ago. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, 1990 was... Almost 30 years ago.
0: do remind me. <laughs> oh, God, okay. that, must, that must suck if you're old. I'm not even old, and that depresses me. What if you're old? <sighs>
1: <laughs> anyway, I have to actually talk,
0: talk about, about the episode. this
1: episode. Not okay, this. yeah, so
0: we're, we're going to be covering uh, the pilot episode. Also, as I just found out, called the Northwest Passage. There are two different versions of this. There's the, there's the American pilot, and then there's the international one. Uh, which is a full, uh, self-contained story that we're not going to be covering because I've never seen it. Um,
1: I've never seen it either.
0: So we're just going to be going episode by episode and, and sort of breaking down different aspects of each of them through all three seasons, even season two. Uh, <sighs> I, don't know. I also want to pitch a title at you. Okay. Fraternal Twin Peaks. I don't understand what Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a like, book <sighs> on Fraternal Twins. It's not very good. The other one I had was Toddcast, a podcast all about Todd. But that's not a character in Twin Peaks, so it probably Yeah, was, no. It would work if you were talking about Dirk Gently, I guess.
1: I still haven't watched that.
0: And the second season is really bad, so.
1: So is the second so This is my Twin review Peaks. of
0: Dirk Gently. Um, season two It's bad. But yeah. back to Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, well, I forgot that I forgot that Josie is the first character that we see in this. It's that shot of her, like putting her lipstick on or something, in the mirror. Yeah, the the first characters that we see are are Josie and then Pete and Catherine. I actually thought it had started with Sarah Palmer going mm-hmm. up to to Laura's room. And in, in my head, I had those scenes switched. So when we get to Sarah Palmer, we already know that she's dead.
0: Which makes it more tragic. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, I was thinking about the Josie scene. And, like, even even just from the get-go, like, the sound design on that is, like, is really good. I thought, like, it's subtle, but, like, there's... I was just listening to, like, her, like, mumblings and stuff. And it's the kind of thing that I feel like you wouldn't really hear on TV, especially, like, especially back then. And that's just, like, that's David Lynch's own obsession with, like, sound. It's Josie Packer, which is weird because I guess we'll figure this out as we go on, but I don't even remember what the point of her character is. I feel bad, but...
1: I think she is the only character in the show other than Coop and eventually Albert, who's, like, not from there, right? I mean, she's the only one not from Twin Peaks originally. I guess people could have moved there, but she—what was her husband's name? Andrew? Like, Andrew. brought her there.
0: Well, I you know. The nice thing about Twin Peaks is that I, I remember the basic through line of the show— but I never particularly remember the soap opera subplots. So it's always fun to go back and rewatch because I get to sort of rediscover what the plot is.
1: The, because, the memorable thing about the show is the theme, not the plot so yeah. much. Josie Packard and then she's dead wrapped in plastic.
0: We're <laughs> just going to gloss over that one. Not a very important <laughs> scene. Um, who was the name of that character that got killed? It probably doesn't come back. Warren. Warren. Palms, I think. Um.
1: So the thing that I noticed about this episode was that we meet pretty much all the characters mm-hmm. right off the bat. It's really quick. Like, they're all introduced kind of in succession. You go right from Josie and Catherine and Pete to Harry and Andy to the Palmers to Bobby and Mike. and then Mike. But then, you know, you get Audrey, you get Norma and Shelly in the diner.
0: Oh, and you get, um, what's her name?
1: Uh. The
0: German girl.
1: Oh she never yeah, comes right, back. Heidi. Yeah,
0: that's a bizarre scene. That that's
1: a really doesn't, weird scene. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about the diner scene because the... I love
0: the diner scene. I love
1: the diner scene and the banter in that scene and the the expressions and the idioms both there and and when Bobby and Shelley are in the car. Right, like mm. it's so.
0: It's a three stage pocket rocket.
1: <sighs> Quit worrying and start scurrying, Mister Touchdown.
0: Some of like, that. What is... Take really, some of that oink that... off that pretty piggy. Um that's in a later scene. But I don't weird, know what it's... any of those mean.
1: No. And it's it's funny they Bobby and Shelly, like, they go the whole conversation and neither of them really says anything. They just keep saying, you know. Like come on, cowboy, light your fire, little pick me up before homeroom. Like it's just it's happy hour in France. There there's not an original phrase in that whole conversation.
0: Yeah. Oh, also here's a question. Does Shelley work nights? Is that the implication? I think so, yeah. Okay. Is it a twenty four hour diner? It must be. Okay. Well yeah. Also I you know, I used to like I used to hate Bobby Briggs because you know, you're supposed to, but man, he's such a fun character. He's so likable. It's hard yeah. to hate that guy
1: yeah I mean he's likable as a character if I ever had to actually interact with him i'd he'd be obnoxious as hell but Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, he's a really fun character
0: and i love I love the song he puts on on the jukebox
1: yeah you know, like yeah, it, it, it sets
0: the scene perfectly
1: and so there's also that moment with Bobby when he gets pulled into the office, and Sheriff Truman tells him that Laura's dead right and there's that that moment where his his face just like changes and his voice gets really quiet and that's I think that's just a really well acted scene because I, it it does establish that this this character that he's that we're supposed to hate right this super brash obnoxious arrogant you know high school football player watching it again you see in that moment that like it's really a front. Yeah. And he's his his reaction to to finding out that Laura is dead is just really heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, well then the, then the front comes back up and he's like he sort of lashes out and gets angry. Yeah. Well, it was I was thinking about, you know, sort of that they introduce everyone right off the bat and I was reading probably on Wikipedia, yeah, directly below the summary I had pulled up that that not only was the mystery of Laura Palmer sort of never going to get solved, which is common knowledge, but that it wasn't even going to end up being that important um, and it says that they were going to sort of try and focus more on bringing the townspeople to the forefront and just using that as a catalyst to sort of expose these problems and stuff so you know it's very much it's very much a, a soap opera satire.
1: Yeah I was thinking about that that it is really ironic in its presentation of these characters. And I don't even really know what it is, because, you know, if you sort of just look at their dialogue, they're just, and, you know, the way they they look, they're just, they're just tropes. But it's very, I don't know, it's just, it's very subtly done that it, that it is, you know, critiquing all of these. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's a soap opera satire.
0: Yeah, a police, police procedural soap opera. Yeah, like daytime soap opera.
1: And also just kind of making fun of that that like conception of of small town America, right? I mean, yeah. which David Lynch loves to do. But
0: yeah. Ugh, yeah. God, he loves small towns. He loves big towns. He loves cities. God, David Lynch just loves humanity.
1: Yeah, so much. Um, Although, again, fifty thousand people. I'm sorry, we do have to address this.
0: Yeah, it makes no sense.
1: That is the that is bigger than any town I have ever lived in.
0: Yeah, that's a really that's big. I think 50,000 is way too much. I think it should be, like, 15,000. Because yeah. it's clearly, like, it's clearly a real town. It's not, like, ranky dink nowhere. I mean, yeah. they've got, like, an actual police force. They've got, like, real businesses. And, like, there's obviously some industry there, even if it's just right. logging. Sort of but, but, yeah, the 50,000 seems, you know, unless the implication is that there's a bunch of people living in, like, the Twin Peaks suburbs. Suburbs? Yeah. yeah. It's those are things.
1: Like um, the the Twin Peaks metropolitan area.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, that's a, yeah, that's a weird choice.
1: And again, Josie shutting down the mill for the day. Yes. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, absolutely let the guy whose daughter is missing go home. And let the guy, like, let anyone who is affected by it go home, but...
0: Yeah, because how many people work at that mill? Right. It has to be a ton.
1: For the... For, Twin Peaks to be 50,000 people, it has to be a lot of people that work there. Otherwise, because there's not other industry, from what we can tell. Yeah. They can't all work at the roadhouse.
0: Or, like, selling cocaine to minors. Wow.
1: Boy, I feel like we should have outlined talking points, because I'm jumping all over the place. Yeah,
0: I was about to say, I was joking about <laughs> skipping over uh, Laura Palmer, but we did. We
1: did, actually, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's not there's not really much to say about it at this point, right? Like, she's dead.
0: She is dead. I don't know though. Like so to me that scene isn't anything special anymore, right? Cuz like I've I've seen it a bunch and yeah. It's not like it's not graphic or particularly shocking, but and this is just my age showing. But I don't know if that was like a big was that a big deal, you know, like showing know. showing an an implied to be 17-year-old girl like, yeah, dead like wrapped in plastic.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um. So
0: listeners, listeners above the age of like 30, please write in. Yeah. Tell me if you were shocked.
1: I think what what kind of matters about, I mean, obviously, on the the scale of the whole show, this is true, but, you know, what matters about that scene is not really, to me, is not really, like, you know, them flipping Laura over and, like, revealing that it's her, but the sort of ripples of the reaction that move out from it. Because that's how we meet all of the characters, right? Yeah. We get to see Pete's character because he's the one that that finds her. We get Doc Hayward because he comes and, and, you know, we establish that connection. Like, he knows who she... And we we get Ben Horn because, and Audrey, because Leland is at the hotel. Which, I feel like, like, that gets um, kind of overshadowed. But, like, I mean, it comes up, but then, you know, it's not really really a plot point because Leland's main plot line is obviously... Spoilers. I was... (laughs) well I wasn't gonna give spoilers. Oh. I was just gonna say the fact that his daughter was murdered, but now Damn yeah, I now think I feel you've like kind I have of,
0: accidentally given spoilers. You
1: have accidentally given spoilers.
0: Spoilers. Leland has a plot line.
1: No, I mean but we get we get Ben Horn because Leland is his lawyer. And I and I think that, that the fact that, that Leland is Ben Horn's lawyer. Well is
0: is Leland Ben Horn's lawyer or is Leland is Leland like the lawyer for the Great Northern? Uh, they probably don't care about that, do they? <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't. I don't think it's ever explicitly stated. Sure. I don't know. I would imagine that the majority of things that Ben Horn would need legal representation for would have to do with the Great Northern, anyway.
0: That's true. We I might mean, be the only lawyer in Twin Peaks. So,
1: there's fifty thousand people there. There has to be a second lawyer. I guess they confirm. They Bobby do. There. They do
0: confirm that in. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're right. The Bobby's lawyer. I was gonna say season three. We.
1: But yeah, so that that's interesting, and that's the other thing. Like the the connection of, of of Ben Horn to Leland, of Audrey to Laura. I feel like they don't we don't get a lot of that, but that's clearly there. And it's interesting because if if I am meant to assume that the interaction between Audrey and Donna at their lockers is not because they are secretly in
0: love, that it wasn't. Is not- it wasn't as gay as it, as you made it out to be. I remembered it being a lot gayer. <sighs>
1: I mean... I'm not denying
0: it. I'm into it, but it's just, you know.
1: Okay, but, if I meant to interpret that scene as them not being, you know, in love, secretly, um, if that's, if, which I don't think technically uh, that's how it's meant to be interpreted, then at least, like, they clearly not only know each other, right, but they're also, I mean, they're also close enough that Audrey, that they don't totally ignore each other, that there is some interaction and that, that Audrey does that kind of shoulder brush of Donna as she walks past. So I think that, you know, like, they don't ever really explain how Audrey fits into that social
0: group. And I wish they did, because, yeah.
1: right, like, she and Laura must have kind of grown up together, right? They're the same age their fathers work together.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, well, Laura, Laura was uh, Johnny's tutor.
1: Yeah, so. so, I mean, she was even, yeah, you know, even if they were, weren't super close, she was at the house a bunch, which makes Audrey's lack of reaction interesting
0: yeah but do you think that that's do you think that's a lack of reaction or do you think that that's like audrey's own weird sort of like i don't know shit like shithead manifestation of of her reaction
1: oh that she's like,
0: she's like acting out and acting just like out
1: because yeah i mean that that would make sense for her character that that would be how she would deal with it
0: side note the scene where she like sticks the pencil in the coffee cup and oh then my like god sprays and it all. Is, I, she, I is she I, I would have killed her. Yeah. Like the secretary is so nice about it. She's like, Oh no, oh no, Audrey you've, you've spilled. Let me clean it like I would have yeah, I would have slapped that woman upside the head. Yeah. Get out of here before I call security. Yeah, um, but
1: I mean I guess, you know, her dad owns the place. her dad hates her. I know, but that being said, do you think he'd like take the side of random desk secretary if random desk secretary was like, "Hey Ben, your daughter's a little shit." Like, I don't think, right. I don't think he would have taken that well.
0: I just think that desk secretary lady needs to have a little more agency and she needs to stand up for herself. She well, works she's... hard and she shouldn't have to put up with this shit.
1: Well, no, but she works. Oh, she's... there's actually she works... a name. Her name what? is
0: Julie. Oh, um. All right, Julie, Julie Divick. Duvik. Oh. Julie Duvek.
1: Weird. Well, she works hard for a wealthy jackass man, so.
0: Hey, I'm sorry, don't don't shame the blue-collar worker because they're enslaved to the white-collar worker, all right? It's just the way of the world. That right? wasn't That's...
1: even what I meant. No. <laughs> I well... wasn't faulting her for that. I was saying, like, maybe the reason that she doesn't have age, like, <laughs> she doesn't stand up for herself there is because she knows that her boss is a jackass guy.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I, didn't, I shouldn't have jumped to conclusions. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I would have done that. Okay, so I want to go back to Sarah Palmer really quick. So speaking of Julie, speaking of Julie Dubik, hotel concierge extraordinaire, she pulls Leland aside out of the meeting that they're having with Norwegians to try and sell this new project, Ghostwood Estates, and it's it's from Sarah Palmer, Laura's mom, calling to figure out what it is, who like where uh, Laura's gone, and then Sheriff Truman comes up and. I don't think he ever actually tells Leland. He doesn't tell Leland that his daughter's dead, but they can, like, sense it. Yeah. And and so Leland kind of, like, breaks down and drops the phone, and and Sarah Paulman on the other end just, like, sort of starts screaming. And I remember that. That scene, the first time I saw it, because her screams are so loud.
1: Oh, they're so. And again, so... it's like
0: yeah, it's David yeah. Lynch is like he's boosting up that sound and he's intentionally making them like very shrill and like almost like almost like distorted. Yeah. And I just think that's like it's so cool because it really like that's a great reaction. She doesn't yeah. just like slump down and like I mean she just like viscerally screams and tears at her hair and like that yeah, I mean that sets such an own. Yeah.
1: And and again, she doesn't know like all Leland Says is, and he doesn't even really say, like, I
0: don't think he says anything.
1: Well, he says when Sheriff Human comes up. He's, he says something like Sheriff Truman, but he doesn't even seem, to, I mean, he, he's obviously worried at that point, but he doesn't even seem to really realize that Sheriff Truman is there about Laura.
0: Oh, see, I think he does.
1: Well, he does when he comes in. I mean, he, I don't, I think it starts to hit him there, yeah, when, it, when the car pulls in. But he doesn't, he doesn't really let on on the phone, right? He doesn't let that on. He just says, like, that Sheriff Truman was there. And then he doesn't say anything. He just drops the phone. Yeah, Sheriff Truman doesn't ever say that it's, he says it's about Laura. But only after Leland asks, like they both realize what's happened before anyone says anything, and they you know they they both have pretty pretty physical reactions to it, right, like Leland drops the phone and he he like grabs onto sheriff Truman's jacket and he's like wobbling, yeah, yeah, and that scene is is really brutal, yeah. yeah. And it's emotional impact, as is the scene with Donna. When the police officer comes into the classroom, the teacher looks, and again, nobody says anything, right? But the teacher looks at Laura's empty desk. Donna looks at Laura's empty desk and
0: just. See, like, weirdly, though, like, to, like today, if that happened to me, I feel like my first thought would be like, God damn it they got like they got busted for something it wouldn't be that they're dead but 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 it speaks to like Laura's character and like that that subconscious understanding that people like have about like, it says something that everyone immediately knows like oh she's dead yeah and they like no one no one believes it but subconsciously everyone knows it
1: everyone knows
0: and that's like kind of like a metaphor for her, her like whole character sort of well so I can, I can make a reach there
1: no but i think so so we see the the implications of her death kind of rippling outward. And, I mean, what strikes me about this is how enamored everyone in town was with her. Like, everyone. The whole school. There's that random girl who, like, runs outside screaming, which I don't know if that's related or just a mood-setting thing, but...
0: Could be either. Yeah,
1: could... And some people I know, you know, like, like, Ed is mostly concerned by fuck. I mean he's concerned by proxy right because he's worried about James just the the massive effect that this has on the town and how quick everybody is to uproot their entire life like not uproot but disrupt their entire daily lives because of this and so we get like how far into the episode is it I mean it's like 40 minutes into the episode before Coop is even on screen Yeah. And boy, did I not realize when I watched it, like, how much of a kind of a slog it is to get through those first 40 minutes, not because they're not good, but because they are just so depressing. If we didn't have Dale Cooper as a character, if this was just like Harry Truman investigating Laura's murder, not that Harry Truman's not an interesting character, and not that he couldn't carry a show, but...
0: Just he, he he couldn't. I'll say it. Fine. <laughs> Sorry, Michael Ankeen. Probably not.
1: I'm Well, I mean, but it's just, it's so depressing without Coop, right? Yeah. He really, like, as soon as, but as soon as he comes on screen, it, he just lifts the whole tone.
0: He's, like, because a lot of shows have, like, like comedy shows have, like, the straight man. Coop isn't, like, that. He's, like, the, he's, like, the levity, he's the levity man. I mean, I don't know how to say it, but. And part of that is he's an outsider to Twin Peaks, so he's...
1: He's not directly affected by Laura's death, except as an FBI agent investigating a potential serial killer. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the funny things is he's, like, when he's prying under Laura's fingernails, he, a- he asks Truman what her name is again. Yeah. He's, like, forgotten her name.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you were joking earlier about when we did kind of initially skip over the scene where they find her body, like, what was her name again? Who, who, who's the girl that got murdered? But, yeah, Co- Cooper doesn't... He doesn't know her name
0: which by the way maybe you should have read the case file dude
1: (laughs) on that note though can we talk about how how much in the i forgot this how much in this episode he is not taking anyone's shit like he is absolutely not not there to mess around and he makes that very clear to everyone
0: i feel like this episode you can you can tell is it pilot. I feel like pilot episodes these days aren't really pilot episodes. They're just sort of called that out of formality. But in this one, I feel like the characters aren't totally formed yet. And I feel like you can kind of tell that with Coop because, yeah, there's some things where he's just kind of a straight psychopath. Like, he tells Bobby, you didn't, you love, didn't her love her anywhere. anyway. Where does like, he think... really even... creepy. I'm like, oh, it's so weird. Yeah. And I was noticing it with a couple other characters, just that, like, they're not quite there yet. Yeah. And it's noticeable. I and mean, I think they get them sorted pretty quickly. But, like, Jacoby is really, really crazy in this one. Like, yeah. crazier than he is later, where he's just kind of a weird dude. But in this, he's, like, smiling and, like, laughing, like, on drugs.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he's super weird. Also, never noticed this before, but his tie... And the hula dancer on his tie? Did you catch this? Yeah, especially because he, like, starts playing with the fringe of her skirt.
0: Oh, no, I didn't see that.
1: Oh, yeah, no. So the... (laughs) So Lawrence Jacoby has a tie with a hula dancer on it for anyone who does not remember this particular scene. And the, the hula dancer has, like, real fringe on her skirt. Right, it's like, like 3D, the, yeah. It's like 3D, the fringe is separate from the rest of his tie, and when he's talking to Harry and Dale, he, like, puts his thumb, like, up her skirt. Like, up the Hula Dancer skirt.
0: What a on his tie. Yeah. I guess Which, he's got I mean, a thing for, like, tropical stuff, though, yeah?
1: Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, and his, fun. Hand up, his hand up skirts, who
0: knows? Well, no, because later he has, like, the... Spoilers. He has the locket and the coconut... Yeah. Um, doesn't he have like does he have like kind of like a tropical themed pad? Am well, I making does. that up? Okay, okay,
1: okay. No, yeah, he does.
0: Um I'm sure he also has a thing about putting his hands up girl skirts. But it's a separate issue.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so I see what you mean, that that the characters aren't quite Quite formed, and yeah coop is really that especially that scene when he well there's a couple there's the scene where he tells Harry outside of the outside of the morgue, I think He's yeah like, when the FBI gets involved the FBI is in charge there's that there's the way he handles the interrogation with Bobby
0: uh, side note really quick that the scene where he Puts the tweezers under Laura's fingernail is the worst thing oh, to ever air on
1: seen. television. It's the ever. most disturbing part of
0: Twin Peaks. It's so horrible because he put like he puts it at a normal distance and then oh, he and just then, keeps going ah oh, okay
1: and and again the David Lynch sound design there.
0: Oh, it's so nasty. I hate oh. that. I hate that. I hate that. Well, one I, of them is like the the guy the mortician. He's like, can you leave us? And the guy's like, my name's Jim. Oh, can you leave, can you leave us, Jim?
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean the yeah the way that he handles the interrogation with Bobby, the conversation that he has with Harry, and just yeah, he is the only one who's not affected like at all, other than the fact that he's investigating a potential serial killer.
0: Which but he's he's way more excited about the serial killer than
1: right. It seems to almost he's almost delighted by the developments in the investigation. Right, like he's. Yeah. He's he's disappointed
0: disappointed when Ronette doesn't have a letter.
1: Right, and he's excited when Laura does.
0: This is a non-sequitur. Do you think the drapes that Nadine is obsessed with are like a metaphor for the Black Lodge? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's the closest I can get. Okay.
1: So the other girl that was murdered, Teresa Banks, right, who we know nothing about. Nothing. Except that Cooper says she didn't have any family, nobody came for her body. Which... I don't know. That's an interesting note to hit, just as a, as a contrast to the way in which Laura's death affected everybody. Yeah. And, um, Ronette Pulaski, too, who, granted, she didn't die, but, I mean, she's, you know, <laughs> she, she almost died. She was kidnapped. One. I mean, yeah, but she was kidnapped, raped, and potentially has brain damage, right? And no one other than... It's
0: a casual Saturday.
1: Other than her father at the mill seems to care.
0: Yeah. It's sad. I know. It was, uh, but speaking of Ronette Pulaski... I would like to put a question to you, which is: I don't understand the Flesh World thing at all. I don't understand Sorry. what that is exactly. I don't understand why there's a picture of Leo and his truck in it. It's never made any sense to me. Do you I don't understand you? why
1: Laura has a picture, has a copy of it in her safe deposit box.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I I, I really don't get that scene at all. I don't like. I guess Flesh World is like a, it's a, it's a sex mag, but
1: right. But is it? Are they like? Personal ads? Like, personal ads for just sex. Is I that what it are. is?
0: I gu- According to the Wikipedia, they're, like, they're personal ads and stuff. I don't know if Leo, if Leo being in there is because he's also putting out an ad. Whoa, is this real? Okay, hang on. I've actually pulled up. I've got I've, uh zoomed in. This can't be real. I, like it? It's a picture of Leo's truck, and it's got, like, it's got description under it. I really have no idea if this is the real thing. This is actually from the show. It doesn't look like it. But it says single white male, 25, 6, 2, 175, young and young and virile, seeks older females and couples as well as some select bisexual males, have four years of swinging experience and a lot to offer, Sex, sex-citing playmates, prefer couples where he is half bi. Doesn't I, seem that that does not
1: seem real at all.
0: It can't be, right? I don't know. This seems very fake.
1: Yeah. How Someone who's published in Flesh
0: World, confirm whether or not this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're
1: Explain an editor to for us...
0: Flesh World. Please pull your uh. Comments. Your back issues. Yeah, yeah. back issues.
1: Yeah. Explain to us what it is, because to us, we're not
0: Flesh World. Flesh <laughs> we're Flesh World. not. <laughs> That's the other mag that they run.
1: <laughs> we're not. We're not quite sure.
0: Um, also, also if just... you have any jobs at Flesh World, uh, doing copy editing, I am free. So sorry, I had to go. I, so that that scene has never made a bit of sense to me. No. But I guess if they're bo- if both Leo and Ronette are putting out personal ads, that's what that is?
1: Yeah. I thought it was just pr- a prostitution thing. And that Leo mm. had put an ad in it of, like, we'll pay money for sex.
0: Okay. That
1: that was what that was.
0: Well, I also don't think Flesh World could be published if it was, if it was- soliciting <laughs> prostitution or offering it. It's probably true. That's what's weird to right. me. It, it's a real like, magazine. Just- it's not like an underground...
1: That's true. That's actually that's true because I like I think of it now as like like the the, the contemporary Craigslist. equivalent would be like some yeah like some sketchy website right?
0: Sugar Daddy um, actually the guy the three D three D printing gun guy actually just got busted for having sex with a minor on that website so.
1: Okay, well, yeah. I don't know what to do about that.
0: We well I think it ties in thematically. <laughs> so moving on from Flesh World, I just I had to I had to cover that. So they find Laura's diary, and after they interrogate Bobby and stuff, they Cooper just tears it open, which is, yeah. I think, that's a really, I love that little scene. They're just like, oh, we haven't found the key, and Coop just, like, breaks Pops it. it open. But then, so he finds, he finds a note about Jay, and he finds the bag of cocaine with the key. I love that Laura was using her safety deposit box key, where she keeps her cocaine money, to do cocaine more moreover i forgot that coop does not actually do any of the cocaine i remembered him putting his finger in the bag and like licking a little bit of it
1: that's the first episode of miss fisher's murder mystery
0: okay <laughs> it doesn't <occur> <laughs> so that, not... Not really super fbi procedure
1: yeah no i think yeah no that's definitely just the first episode of, of miss okay. fisher's <laughs>
0: An Miss Fisher
1: and her her doctor friend like find she finds the cocaine she takes it to her doctor friend to analyze and then they
0: both definitely do cocaine. Okay, okay. So then, I guess the, the episode kind of picks up from there. Does it all take place in the course of one day?
1: I think so. I yeah.
0: Kuka's down there
1: fast. I'm. Hang on.
0: During all this dead air, I'd like to bring us a word from our sponsors: Water <laughs> Serving. The greater metropolitan area since water. It's just I I, mean, I feel like I should be vamping, but I have nothing.
1: He says in the opening scene how far it is past the state line. He he gives Diane all of this uh, information. Okay, got it. Okay, but it does the entering town of Twin Peaks five miles south of the Canadian border, twelve miles west of the state line. So I'm looking at a map of Missoula, Montana. Twelve miles west of the state line. Although, hang on,
0: I don't I yeah. So we've messed up. Dale Cooper's not from Missoula.
1: Where is he from?
0: Uh, I don't know, but David Lynch is from Missoula.
1: No, I know that David Lynch is from Missoula, but I, was, I thought that was where they mentioned Missoula. Do where. Yeah, that's where, like, they're based.
0: Really? Okay. I looked up. Yeah, they're from, they're, they, uh, they're from Philadelphia.
1: But how does... He had to have been in Montana. Regardless, he gets there fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets there real fast from where gonna, how he's getting there from
0: well, according to the so for those of you really interested in where Dale Cooper lived I have this here uh, Wikipedia page that says that he lived in Pennsylvania Philadelphia Pennsylvania from 1954 to 1976 he was born in 1954 uh, to Mr. and Mrs. Cooper <laughs> the page informs me then he moved to Pittsburgh from 1976 to 1985, and then he lived in San Francisco uh, from 1985 to 1989.
1: So, what was your point that you were gonna make before we fell down this particular rabbit hole? We were gonna have to edit so much out
0: of this. So, there's some, there's some rough content in here. Um, I don't remember what my point was. He gets there real fast. He gets there. I have a, I have a different point. I love the high school setting they have. And I love the high school aesthetic that he, like, evokes. He's got this, like, it's just this very classic, like, Archie comics kind of high school environment going. And I actually think one of the biggest failings of the show is that he doesn't keep up that angle. Because I think a lot, I love the high school characters. I think it's, like, it's so cute and classic feeling. And then you've got this, like, but it's, you know, it's twisted. And it's—I really think it's a shame they don't keep up that background of them all being in high school. Because after this, you you do kind of lose the thread that these are all like seventeen-year-olds who go to school. You don't yeah. really see them going to school and being people. And you know, I mean, whatever. I'm not far be it from me to criticize the genius of David, but
1: also at some point.
0: But I just love—I just love that setting. I love that.
1: Yeah. Also, at like, some point, shouldn't they song? have graduated? Right. If this, how long does the whole show take place over?
0: Four days. No, <laughs> I think it's a month. Well, that was the thing when when they were. I was told that Laura like Laura Palmer's like the prom queen and everything. I didn't I didn't understand how that could be if they were, if they like hadn't had prom yet.
1: She's the then, homecoming
0: queen. Oh, homecoming queen. Yeah, I yeah. still don't understand how you could do that without being a senior.
1: No, I mean I. That's the thing. I that's why I assumed that they were seniors in high school. Oh, so and
0: homecoming already happened.
1: Yeah, because this takes place in February.
0: Oh, that does make sense. I don't know how homecoming works.
1: <laughs> well, it happens in the fall.
0: Okay. Do you think I was the person that went to homecoming?
1: Eh.
0: I was the person that suggested that my band haul our amps outside of the place they were having homecoming and play a concert.
1: Boy, that's that's so different from what you're like as a person now.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. I really love the high school setting, I did, and I think I think the entire first episode really nails its own aesthetic mm-hmm. in a way that I think the rest of the show never quite gets back to. Yeah. I uh, think
1: because they have to develop those characters so they can't, it can't be aesthetic, but that yeah. aesthetic, the aesthetic that they're going for really is a very static aesthetic, right? The, it, it exists independent of the things that happen, but then they have to have things happen to have a show.
0: Speaking of static, I noticed that there were a lot of static shots in this, and it's filmed. I mean, duh, it's filmed very much like he films his his movies. But there's just there's very little camera movement going on in a lot of it. A lot of it is just sort of cut.
1: Yeah, it just it cuts from one yeah. shot to the next. It doesn't. Yeah, and I didn't even catch that that zoom on on Sheriff Truman that you pointed out.
0: Oh, it's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's atrocious.
1: Yeah, you're gonna have to provide all of the camera angle
0: commentary. That's kind of like an in the moment thing. That's like you gotta have me like yelling at the screen, you know? <laughs> the fuck was that shot? <laughs> Who cut that? Learn to edit.
1: Okay, so here's something that we haven't talked about yet, which is why has Cooper never seen a tree before?
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's like Douglas firs is not a particularly obscure tree.
1: Are they just taller in Washington? Is it's that what awesome. it is? Is it well, just I mean, that they're
0: real big? There are pretty there are pretty big trees over here. You got like sequoia up and in norcal and yeah, I don't know. He, they give him a very wide-eyed kind of character for this, which is it is a little weird cuz he is a, he's a grown adult man <laughs> who's like a top investigator at the FBI.
1: Yeah, he's apparently never seen a tree or any nature.
0: I think I saw a snowshoe rabbit.
1: <laughs> he thinks he sees a cottontail. Rabbit. Oh,
0: damn it! Yeah, okay. But, go ahead. <laughs> I read. I read a sentence that I s- scrolled across on this this episode summary. Sure. Cooper and Truman sit down for donuts, and the sheriff recommends that the FBI mans the Great Northern Hotel. Clean place,
1: reasonably reasonably priced.
0: Damn it! So now Cooper's up. now the FBI man.
1: Yeah, he's he's so. Or the, when he's whittling in the at the roadhouse.
0: God, I love that line. It's an amazing line. Why am I whittling? It's because it's what you do in a town where yellow light still means slow down instead of speed up. Which is a big thing to say to someone, though, I feel like.
1: Again, I don't understand what kind of small towns he is encountering because I have lived in towns smaller than Twin Peaks for my entire life, and I always floor it when I see a yellow light.
0: That's because you're, <laughs> you're a scary driver.
1: Hey, somebody told me that they got back from Denver in an hour, oh
0: so... That's dangerous.
1: Yep. Actually, they. I mean, they said they only went 90. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <coughs> yeah, my point.
1: The speed limit here is already 80 on the highways.
0: <laughs> speed limit. Limit. That's the operative word there. Okay, so now that we've discussed uh, traffic My habits, driving
1: habits, yeah. yeah. The, the whole thing where Donna doesn't tell... Sheriff Truman
0: Donna's i mean she's a she's a she's ride or die man she does not snitch she knows our national policy
1: but who i mean
0: who who did, in their right mind would do that yeah i don't
1: know yeah who cares i mean like it's kind of like what cooper says to her right this is not this is not the time to be covering up for the fact that your best friend was cheating on her boyfriend like it's not like they're going to break up over it at this point donna yeah and i don't under, I don't understand why I don't understand why she thinks that James is going to get in trouble before she finds out that he doesn't have an alibi, right? Because he tells her that later. She doesn't know that he doesn't have an alibi for that night.
0: Yeah. And it's not like James, like, James is a student at the school. He hasn't graduated. He's not like a a cool drifter man. I mean, he pretends to be, but he is still a student. They just go to school together. It seems strange that, yeah, she wouldn't just say, uh, yeah, me, James, and Laura, like, went and had a picnic.
1: Right, that's the other thing. She doesn't even have to say that...
0: Yeah, she doesn't have to say me, Laura, and James, who she was cheating on Bobby with.
1: Yeah, like, she doesn't have to say that. And then my other question is, I don't understand why they assume that the killer has the other half of Laura's necklace. It's half a heart. Why don't they just assume that Bobby gave it to her? Yeah. Because that's then what leads to this whole thing, where Donna sneaks out to meet James, they have to go bury the necklace, James has to, you know, try to account for his whereabouts, and he, he tells her he doesn't have an alibi is because that they think that the killer has the other half of the necklace, and I'm not sure why they make that assumption.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the best detective work, which is weird because I was, the other thing I was going to say is I really like how they portray Coop as a detective. Like, he's not Sherlocky, but he's right. clearly, like, very good at his job.
1: Right, but he's good at his job ways. in, like, yeah. a normal way. Like, a, a way that a normal person is good at being a detective.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: he's not, I mean... Until the uh, Tibetan Buddhism, but...
0: Well, that's... That's weird. But, I, but the, the zoom in on, like, her eye with, the, like, the reflection of the thing. Yeah. You know, like, he doesn't know because, like, she had oil on her fourth like, finger. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that was... You could tell by the sheen that it's, you know, from this... You know, it's just like, oh, I saw... Then you can just see the this reflection. Looks yeah, like he's...
1: a hug to me. But like, he doesn't say, like, <laughs> that's a great that's the the worst worst line. But yeah, we so we get this whole this whole thing where, where they have to go bury the necklace because the police think the killer has the other half of it because I don't know why. And I don't understand why. And the only reason that they would think at this point that, that James killed her is not really because he doesn't have an alibi. It's because... He doesn't have an alibi, he has the other half of the necklace, and Donna was super evasive. I really feel like she kind of screws him over there by not just saying. The thing with the necklace, right, like, yeah, she was, like, cheating on her boyfriend with me. We were a thing, I gave her a necklace. That's not, that doesn't implicate him in anything.
0: It would be better if he actually brought the necklace in and was like, hey, I'm not the killer. This is, this is the other half. Other instead of burying it in the woods in the middle of the night like, like a crazy person which really makes you seem like the killer
1: yeah it super does and i guess maybe that's like from a plot perspective like yeah. from from the perspective of the show right that we're maybe meant to believe that it was him but it
0: well cooper says like nah it's not him i i do kind of love that about him though. he says something about bobby too he's like he didn't do it but he's still like oh, he's still doing his job
1: yeah, but because I mean, yeah, he I, knows at this point that it's a serial killer, right? And this a serial killer is, I guess, not suit like somebody who who murdered the whatever whoever the other girl was, Teresa Banks. I think Cooper knows, and I think everybody, everybody was knows. was
0: found in Wind River.
1: If this is a serial killer, it's not going to be some high school kid. But yeah, I mean, they they still still does his job. He still interrogates every everyone, and then Doc Hayward, who I love so much. So
0: he's so good and precious.
1: He is. Ugh.
0: he's just wonderful,
1: yeah and he's, <laughs> he's so, so cute, I know,
0: so this is our official Doc Hayward fan cast,
1: yeah, <sighs> he's just so nice. He's so nice, like he he picks up- right, like what other father picking up on picking up their daughter from the police station at after she' snuck out would just be like, "No, I know, you wouldn't have done it unless you had a good reason,
0: which by the way not not a good reason actually.
1: No, a terrible reason.
0: Terrible reason.
1: <laughs> Why did you need to bury the necklace?
0: Why doesn't she have her own bike? I do love the Bobby and Mike drunk driving bit, though. Oh my god! I forgot how funny the line was. That he's like, "You're not drunk driving." He's like, "No, <laughs> no don't worry. Bobby's doing." Bobby's doing most of the driving. driving.
1: As he's surfing on the hood surfing of the car, on the
0: car with a beer. Ugh. I know it's weird how much I, how much more I like Bobby in this, this viewing.
1: Bobby's pretty great. I really hate Mike.
0: Oh fuck, Mike. Yeah. You know, Mike pulls himself together though.
1: I mean, sure, I guess, but I mean, when your girlfriend's best friend has just been murdered, you don't suggest to her that the most important thing that she should be worried about is the fact that your friend is being interrogated for it. Like, I get that you're upset that your best friend is being held at the police station, but at least he's not dead. Because your girlfriend's best friend is dead, Mike.
0: Yeah, Mike Mike is, like, cartoonishly evil for a character that doesn't matter at all. Yeah. He'd be so much better as, like, a more, like, a a meeker, milder foil to Bobby, who just kind of, like, goes along with what he says.
1: But then Bobby would look like more of a dick.
0: He's supposed to. Bobby is, like, a murderer, right? Foilers? I mean, okay, yeah, I don't want to go into it too much, but, man, does this show accelerate to, like, a hundred by the time you're, like, halfway through?
1: Dead girl gets found, everyone's sad, and then by the end of the episode, like, everyone has been implicated in, at the very least, drug dealing, if not possibly murder.
0: So, yeah, so Bobby, Bobby, James, man, God bury the locket they all
1: got the most generic names
0: such generic names god they bury the locket and then they get taken in and you cut to Bobby and James in the cells Bobby starts like barking at him and Mike and and Mike Mike and they like they just they just sort oh we messed up we forgot the roadhouse
1: oh we're terrible at this we're so bad at this okay what do you think the chances are that we listen to this later and have to re-record the whole thing
0: very high okay Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Extremely high. So they go to the roadhouse. They go to the roadhouse first. James says to meet him at the roadhouse?
1: Yeah, and then he's not there.
0: And he's not there. But his homies are.
1: Yeah, let's talk about them. First of all, like, these are not high school kids, right? No, like, no. Because Bobby and Mike are there to, to beat up James. And it's not like they even get to that part, yeah, right? No. Because he's not there. Mike's just being an ass to Donna. And then Ed pulls him off. Ed, Bobby's meanwhile, the- is
0: there because he is... He is pre-canoodle with uh Norma. Norma.
1: Yeah. And then Bobby takes a swing at Ed. They kind of spring to Ed's defense. They're they're quite the squad, man.
0: I like that. I like that group. And I was like if this was if this was made in like now, they would totally get their own like spin-off comic. Not a full show, but they definitely have some extended universe stuff about Joey Paulson. Oh, yeah. Got yeah. another just so mil... What a milk toast name. I'm sorry <laughs> to any Joey
1: Paulson stuff there. No, they've all got really boring names.
0: It's probably intentional, though, yeah. You know, this like This is like also, the, white, the whitest cracker town in Washington. Like, um,
1: no mats in this show.
0: No mats, I know. What a bummer. No, uh, there's.
1: Is there a Carolina or isn't I there? I don't know. It's hard to we tell. Don't, we don't know.
0: <laughs> we don't know, Coop. Oh.
1: <laughs> You're so in love with her, Coop. You would have known her damn name. Anyway, yeah. Have we, uh, okay. A... So,
0: well, you have you have Julie Cruz singing. the Night oh, of yeah. She's fantastic, and that like uh, that's that very so... much like a blue velvet kind of. Yeah. Or... It
1: was interesting watching that now that I've seen Blue Velvet.
0: And Blue Velvet is the most Twin Peaksy of his movies.
1: Yeah.
0: Just in terms of like what they're talking about, which is that you know the dark underbelly of small town America. Yeah. Well, so then they have they, like
1: half the same actors
0: yeah well he has his muses. They're mostly Kyle
1: <laughs> and laura dern
0: yeah well who 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 doesn't have Laura Dern as their muse? This is true, so Mike and Bobby are in the the cell, getting back to this. they bark at James, and then you see you see someone digging up the locket right and they and then and then they cut to credits what i I think is funny is that nowadays, I mean that scene would be corny, but if they had that scene, you would see that, and they'd cut to black, and mm-hmm. then credit. Right, but, but them, they credit, show the up. But just fade over the picture. Yeah. And they almost, like, undercut that sort of, like... I don't know, that's always been surprising to I, me. I, I actually really like that, though.
1: It breaks the illusion for that second, right before yeah. it ends.
0: So, wrap-up. Thoughts? Well, okay, so I do actually have a thought. Okay. Um, that this is one of those shows, and this is one of those episodes that... What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. If if someone watches this and they don't like it, you can't say, oh, you know, just give it a few it more gets, episodes. It, it gets
1: better, you know, different, worse. Yeah, Well, it does get worse,
0: but it does. Not not too. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, you know, if if, if you're not sold on this, yeah, this You're is not going to enjoy
1: the show. It is cohesive. You mentioned that because it's a pilot some of the characters aren't quite there yet, but it is pretty pretty much established at this point.
0: Yeah, certainly in terms of the, what the show is doing, mm-hmm. what, you know, like what, what the themes are going to sort of be that get teased out. I think this this to me is the defining episode of the show. Oh, yeah. For better or for worse kind of.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing like because so many of the so many of the iconic quotes from the show right come from this episode right that scene where they find Laura's body cooper's opening monologue into the, the tape recorder
0: Diane I'm holding in my hand a box a, a of chocolate,
1: s- chocolate bunnies. bunnies yeah this you're right this this episode in particular is, is really kind of encapsulates the whole show
0: yeah which is which makes sense because it was there is the extra 20 minutes of footage in the international version that was released as sort of a self-contained tv movie
1: right um, right
0: which, if anyone's watched that, tell us how it is. I won't.
1: You won't but watch it.
0: No, I don't want it to. I don't want it to like ruin my because oh. I love this first episode so much. I don't want it to distort how I look at it at all.
1: I'll but find somebody not. else to do a podcast about that one with. No,
0: that's not fair. Now we'll just skip it. Oh, but, okay. but talking just about—I was going to say one of the reasons I won't watch it. but I don't mind looking it up. Is that it's like Twin Peaks is such oh. a like, a sensory show, you know, was I was thinking about this episode, and that, like, Angela Baldamante's score is responsible oh. for, like, a good 25% of why it's amazing.
1: It's so good. Laura's theme, the music when, that's playing, when, behind Coop's opening scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of Audrey's music, yeah. And it's, it's nice because it's, like, you're hearing it for the first time, whereas, like, once you're once you're, like, deep into season two, and they play Laura's theme, like, every three seconds, like, whenever there's a revelation.
1: I mean, coming back to the first episode again, though, I'm not tired of it, right? No. Like, that, no. no matter how many times I listen to it, it's still very compelling.
0: It feels fresh in the first episode, to me.
1: The first episode feels fresh, even though I was a little worried, actually, when we, when we first started watching it, because... I I remember we had this conversation that, like, when I watched the first episode of the new season, hearing that theme music really got me. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just like, it just really hit. And that didn't happen when I, even though I had just watched, right, the first two seasons again, most of the first two seasons. And I had heard that theme music, you know, like, three or four times a night as I binged all of those episodes. But I I didn't get that kind of with the opening credits. I was just like, all right, it's just here. And I was a little worried when I realized I'm like, this is the fourth time I've watched this episode. I hope I'm not tired of it. Mm -hmm. But then I wasn't. By the time we got into it, it it did. It does feel very fresh no matter how many times you've seen
0: it. Oh, well, the soundtrack is on Spotify, by the way. And I actually highly recommend listening to it without the visuals. It's great, like, sitting outside at night drinking a glass of wine music.
1: Which seems exactly the kind of specificity that that they would want, right? In in how you consume that music.
0: What's the David Lynch special? Smoke smoke a cigarette and drink a glass of wine. That's our other sponsor. What, David Lynch? I don't (laughs) say wine. I don't want to say cigarettes.
1: Yeah, no, that's really bad.
0: Yeah, I don't support them.
1: Although, I'll tell you what, I'm almost at this point more annoyed with the... Vaping? No, the, um, the Twitter campaign, the Twitter ads, because I don't smoke and I don't plan on it and I never have. And... I swear to God, I get 75 Twitter ads a day in my Twitter feed about how smoking causes erectile dysfunction. And you know what? That could not be less applicable to me if it tried. (laughs) So while we're definitely not sponsored by cigarettes, we're also not sponsored by the Truth Orange campaign or whoever the hell they are.
0: Yeah, we're neither sponsored by cigarettes nor not sponsored by cigarettes. All right. Yeah. So I
1: feel like we can probably wrap this up.
0: Yeah. Please. (laughs) I have a question for podcasters. How do you keep these headphones on? My ears are so warm.